Wow, that is an abrupt stop. It doesn't fade in and out like we're used to, Jeremy. It just, boom. All right, music ends. You're on. I know we're on. I, but it's, you know, I, it's, uh, it was nice to have it, man. It's like walking to the plate with some intro music. It That's is. It is like intro about. music here on Extra Bases with Bristol and Booth. We are streaming live on Twitter. Yes, we are on Twitter right now. So uh, Jeremy is uh, sharing that. And uh, it's up on my page if you got any questions for us here as we're getting into uh, a new Extra Bases with Bristol and Booth. This is episode 31 of season four. I can't believe that we've gotten that far. Season four, episode 31. Yeah, you know, it, uh, it, it beats the COVID year when there wasn't a whole lot to, <laughs> to talk about. There's been a lot going on in, in 2020. Uh, you know, 2021 turned into 2022. Times run together, but man, we've we've been we've had some fun here for a few years. Yeah, we have. Um, here's what's coming up on today's show: Major League Baseball, the payrolls. Where do they stand compared to past years? That information was released by the Associated Press. Of course, there's new managers in New York and Oakland. MajorLeagueBaseball.com releasing its 2022 Major League Baseball draft prospect rankings. And then we have a flashback, Jeremy Booth's 2011 report on which Washington Nationals player. That is all coming up right now on Extra Bases with Bristol and Booth. Jeremy, earlier today, we had this. We had um, a report from the Associated Press as I pull it up. Major League Baseball payrolls dropped 4% in 2021 compared to the league's last full season, meaning 2019. And the $4.05 billion total was the lowest in a fully completed year since 2015. Payrolls are down about 4.6% from their record high in 2017. That was uh, the first year of the just-expired CBA. This information was sent to the clubs by the commissioner's office and obtained by the Associated Press on Monday. Spending on big league players has not been this low since $3.9 billion in 2015. Certainly this plays into everything from the player's perspective and this lockout. What have you been hearing on the lockout? Um, any new information on how this possibly could go on and, and how long it may last? You know, it, it, the lockout first, it depends. It really depends on who you talk to. Um, but I think that most people are expecting I still think these guys are smart enough on both sides. And, and, and yeah, I think they're smart enough on both sides to get this done in time to not miss the start of the year. You know, they're not going to rush through spring training. Maybe it backs up a week. Maybe it backs up two. If this thing starts in, in, in mid-April or first week of May, then we're going to have a problem. And, and I think they're smart enough to know that on both sides. Certainly coming off COVID, uh, you know, the COVID-shortened uh, season, um, you know, with the with the stuff with the baseballs that we talked about last time by using different baseballs. Uh, you know, this isn't billionaires fighting with millionaires. This is about in in some in many cases the integrity of, of the game and how it's played. And that's something that the commissioner likes to throw around a lot is integrity of the game. And now you have some real issues on the player's side where they can look back at the commissioner and say, well, you keep saying integrity of the game. Where's the integrity of the game? Um, you know, so I, I think that's that's what it's going to be when they get to the table. Some of these issues will, will resolve, you know, easier than others. Other issues are going to squarely be on competitive balance and improving rosters. Um, you know, forcing the revenue sharing maybe to be spent. Uh, there's been some stuff thrown around, which I think is a good idea. 
uh, that has to do with flipping the draft order based on, you know, on production and performance. And we talked about that last time. So, you know, look, any number of things are going to happen and could happen. Um, and, and frankly, they all should be there. What we know needs to happen for sure. And the salaries bear that out is that when we're talking about, and man, this is probably going to hurt some feelings, but mm, you know what? I, I'm checking and I don't have any of those things to give. I'm fresh out. When you get into a position where you have, uh, salaries that are down and they're down because strikeouts and all the other things that we talk about that uh, matter when it comes to performance and role prediction and and what they're trying to do to build championship clubs when you have these type of things walks and strikeouts and pure velocity that doesn't get it doesn't win games it help, it doesn't it hurts you it doesn't it doesn't uh, velocity unless it becomes effective velocity and that's a term somebody else uses but I mean effectively placed velocity or balls that uh, or strikes, work in and out of the strikes, and all the markers that have been around forever, forever, no matter how many different ways you try to look at it, unless that's part of it, it's not ever going to match out to value, okay? When it comes to swinging and missing, you know, there's an executive told me a long time ago, does it have to always be a donkey hack? Does it have to always be a, a, a gangster hack, any number of things. Why, why are we swinging as hard as we can all of the time? And whoever is teaching that in Major League Baseball, Minor League Baseball, High School Baseball needs to have their coaching card revoked, okay? It needs to come back. It needs to be back. In, just give it up. I'll come get it from you myself, whoever you are. Tell you what, my Twitter hand, tag me into it about your coaching card. Take a picture of it, and I promise you, I'll come get it myself because you don't belong with it. And that's what's happening in professional baseball, and it's trickled down. Now, that stuff doesn't win games. So what happens is you negotiate against that because, hey, you know what? You're not performing like you should. You don't get as much money. And the players say, uh-uh, we're doing what you told us to do. We are swinging and missing at record rates. We are trying to hit the ball to the moon. We are throwing 111 miles an hour off the backstop. That's what you said gets us paid. And now you don't want to pay us? We're going to go back and play. And the players, you know what, on this particular issue, when it comes to how this is being evaluated and how these guys are being held accountable on contracts, the players are right. And, and the fans may not want to hear that. The players are right. They're 100% right when it comes to their position, and they're dug in, and they should be. So speaking from a front office perspective, if I'm an owner or I'm a GM, last thing I want to do is I want to have people um, – I don't want the public turning on me because the players are right in this situation and they will, they will turn on the owners. It's always about the players, but no, this, this is a different situation. It's going to be about the owners. And if I'm turn, you turn on the owners, uh, I don't want, if I'm a GM, I want everybody who has helped me get to this point gone. I'm going to go ahead and, 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 and pass out pink slips. Like somebody is paying me to do it. Like part of my job description is here. You no longer work here. And it's not because anybody, one person you're looking at to lose your job. It's because these guys have their heads so far in the wrong direction that's hurting the game. That's soapbox number one. You got me fired up already. already. Well, let, me, let, let me ask you this, though. What do you think a World Series championship, how much a, can you put a dollar value on a World Series championship? Yeah, you can. I don't know what it is, but you can. I mean, ask. Like we can go ask anybody that's won one in the last twenty. Do you think it's years. worth? Do you think it's worth thirty-two million dollars? I mean, I'd say it's worth more than that. 
So this is very interesting, and, and maybe I'm comparing apples to oranges here, but looking at this article from the Associated Press, it says, the Los Angeles Dodgers led baseball with a $262 million payroll. So any idea, I gave away the answer, what the luxury tax bill was on that $262 million? It was $32 million, Jeremy. So my point is, if you're yes, you're spending all that money, but if it gets you the World Series, and I know the Dodgers didn't win it this year, but if it gets you a World Series championship, isn't it worth an extra $32 million? San Diego was the only other club assessed a tax, charged $1.2 million, or $1.3, I should say, after failing to make the playoffs. Five teams, Jeremy, finished within $4 million of the $210 million threshold on payrolls as calculated for luxury tax purposes. The Philadelphia Phillies, the Yankees, the Mets, Boston, and Houston. Those teams finished within $4 million of the threshold, so they were not charged the luxury tax. Only two teams, if I'm reading this correctly, yes, San Diego and the Dodgers, and the Dodgers tax bill was $32 million. I'd say $32 million is well worth a World Series championship. You know, and, and look, the Dodgers, and, and look, there's some good people over there, and, and, and you know, they, well, the Dodgers, interesting, interestingly, have done is they've drafted well, they've developed, right, um, and they've augmented trades. They've had, they got it running how you're supposed to run it from a, um, a total uh, reinforcement, from a balancing cost effective. You know, they have all that stuff in place. Um, and that's how you should do it. When you look at clubs like the Astros, who have had a very good major league run for, what, seven years now, six years? Pretty good major league run. Um, you have a situation where it took them three front offices to get there, and the previous front office didn't really backfill uh, all that well. And, and look, that's going to hurt some feet. You know, I, I'm just might just get a sign, this T-shirt says, I hurt feelings. Like, maybe we should just do that. That's going to hurt some feelings. Um, you know, and, and hopefully this new regime, which now has a chance to get their first and second round picks back, uh, goes a little deeper with what they do. Um, and they're able to get different players. And then they got to turn around and develop them, which is a whole different story entirely. But when it comes to um, how you're supposed to build it, the Dodgers are an example of how to build it. That said, you don't have to spend $262 million to win a World Series if you do it right. Look at the Astros. Look at uh, the Cardinals that have done it in the past. Uh, look at um, – the I mean, Rays just getting yeah. there, obviously. Nationals, like you don't have to do it. What I would say is, how much, how many tickets do you sell? How many concessions do you sell? You know, the net. How much, how many merch, how much merchandise do you sell? Right. What other revenue streams do you have? Those are only three for winning a World Series. What about the rev shares from the league that the players get? The front off. There's a lot of different ways to make money off winning. There aren't many ways to make money off losing that are above board and honest. And that's when I look at when I talk about that, I look at places like Baltimore. I'm curious as to what steps they're going to take once they're able to go ahead and sign players to see if they're going to go and turn around and win. I'm curious if in Seattle, and it looks like they're finally getting that question, if Jerry DePoto, who frankly I have had some real suspicions on for quite some time. Um, he seems to have a goal in the right direction if they're going to give him the money to finish the process. doesn't always happen in Seattle. 
So hopefully that's what happens when they go ahead and allow that, if that's what goes on. But you don't have to spend $262 million to win or 294 I guess is what it would be with 32 on top. Either way, if you spend $300 million, $300 million, does a World Series get you more than that? Yeah, it does. It's going to get you a lot more than that because it's going to resonate into the next year. And if you're good again, it's going to resonate into the year after that. And people, World Series titles can carry you five, six years where people figure out you're not winning World Series in the last four or five years. You know, they just think about the one that you that you got there. So, um, you know, there's a lot to be said for that. And you don't win World Series without players performing the way they're supposed to. And nobody shows up to watch these analysts compute their numbers. Doesn't mean they don't have any value. But the last time 60,000 people showed up to watch somebody put together a spreadsheet will be the first time. It doesn't happen. So we got to remember who's on the field. Got to remember why you're doing this. Kids don't grow up uh, watching the guys play baseball and rooting for the guy behind them. They don't do that. They may be impressed with the guy behind them, maybe talking about, wow, this is awesome how you put it together. But you know what? The New York Mets just put together a 40-person analytics department. Nobody's showing up to watch them play. Nobody's showing up to watch them put together their their analysis of anything, nobody. They're gonna, they wanna see the players perform. So it better work and it better help. And if those guys are now getting in the way of the players actually growing and developing and winning World Series, they need to go. And the players are gonna go ahead and draw a line and decide that more guys want a chance to win and guys that wanna see their money go down. End of story. Should we move on to the managerial moves? Yeah, we can do that. I mean, we're we coming out hot tonight. That's all we I are. Now, I, you, you, mentioned, you mentioned to me earlier that my screen was a little uh, blurry. So um, if that's the case, I apologize to everybody. I'm trying. I'm trying my best. That's all I can say. Um, <laughs> and if you have any questions, please leave them below here on Twitter. The newest managers, obviously, in New York, you have Buck Showalter. And in Oakland, you have Mark Kotze. For me, Jeremy, I'm thinking these are the right guys. These are the right guys at the right time. Buck Showalter, veteran guy. He's not going to take any you-know-what around the clubhouse. Uh, I think that he's a guy that will clean up whatever mess has been happening in New York. Mark Kotze is a guy who has experienced everything in this game as well, but on a different level as a player. And when you have a team, an organization that is – rebuilding i think that it's another example of probably the right guy at the right time um here's a quote i just found about katze he came prepared as you possibly could be despite the fact that he's known david and i for 20 plus years that really impressed us um that was the hiring of mark katze in oakland and i also thought it was interesting when asked about analytics jeremy buck showalter said yeah i mean i've always been into analytics and let me get the exact quote up we would have loved to have had a lot more analytics in Baltimore, but we didn't have the funding for it. And I'm looking forward to having it. Which one do you want me to start with, Katze or Buck? It's always your 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 choice, my man. I'll start with Katze. You know, Mark Katze, Southern California native. Uh, I think he's a year older than I am. Um, we a lot of the same circles uh, growing up you know, against each other, first rounder with the Marlins, Olympian, you know, I mean, you know, it's guys you kind of grow up playing against. And Kotze, he's, you know, look, he, he is, 
he is a sponge. He is competitive as as as, as heck, and in, in, in any number of different adjectives you can use. Um, he's aggressive. He's you know he's an analytic guy, meaning you know the way he played is something that would um, way he performed would be something that would stand out with the with the analysts. And he's been in that system. Anybody who didn't think Mark Kotze wasn't the choice in Oakland once they pulled him out of San Diego, I think he was starting in San Diego on the major league staff. Anybody thought that Kotze wasn't the choice in Oakland was lying themselves. It, he he was that was a no brainer. It was obvious. Uh, whether or not there are other qualified people, of course, there were. whether or not there are people to talk to, absolutely. But the A's were going to hire Mark Kotze. Um, and when it comes to Billy Bean and David Force uh, saying that, good for them for saying it, but they were going to hire Mark Kotze. Like, you know, yesterday, the day before that, if they hadn't done it tomorrow, they were going to hire Mark Kotze. So, um, you know, my biggest concern, if there is one with, with Mark Kotze, um, is that he hasn't managed at any level. He's been a coach. He's been a teacher. He's had his hands on when it comes to uh, relating to people, when it comes to understanding how to get these guys going, how to you know make sure their game is moving forward. If it's a big league level, minor league level, that's development. When you are a manager at the big league level, it's more about strategy. It's more about relationships. It's about talking to people in the front office. It's about understanding personalities. It's being able to anticipate. And these are things that I'm sure he'll be able to do well. He did them as a player, but it's not about coaching anymore from a standpoint of you have the outfielders. It is 100% about managing your roster and understanding all the information and putting that to use when they turn it over. In Oakland, I happen to believe he's the right guy at the right time or the right type of guy. So we'll just say he's the right guy. And the reason why is because of the reboot. Now, you and I talked earlier in the offseason, much earlier in the offseason, and I said the A's are going to be a reboot. All of a sudden, a month later, it's a reboot. And that's what's, that's what's happening. Or two months later, it was a reboot, and then now we're down the road, and they finally hire Kotze. So it's a lot of young kids they're going to grow with, and a lot of things they're going to do from a standpoint of not trying to win right now. They're trying to grow from within. Um, they're going to have a new ballpark one way or the other, whether it's in Oakland or in Vegas. So they're going to try to build a club up to go into a new stadium and, and make an impact with the players that they have. So – I think Kotz, you know, I think Kotz is the right guy. I'm happy for him. I'm happy for the A's. In the standpoint, they got the right guy. And for the rest of baseball, they don't have to worry about the A's for a few years because, you know, Kotz, Kotz and those guys are going to grow together. That's what it is. And so good for that. Um, if you turn to New York and you hire Buck Showalter, you know, Buck had something he said earlier today, I believe, and the, the, the general sense of it was, thank you to Dusty Baker and Joe Madden uh, and those guys who are over 60 that are managing that show you can do it instead of having to have somebody, you know, fresh out of, uh, you know, fresh out of college, you know, man, you know, managing in a position of leadership. So I, I you know, that's good that he said that, it's, it, you know, he's he's learned um, quite a bit in 20 years of managing. He's managed four different clubs before now, that, I mean, the Yankees, Rangers, Diamondbacks and, all, and Orioles. All four have been different. All four have been different experiences. All four front offices have been different. The expectations have been different. And he's kind of stepping back into New York with the Mets, which is a team that has made some pretty big moves, um, and they need a veteran guy. You can't go into New York with somebody who is a first-time um, uh, manager with this team. You can't do it. And it's nothing against Matt Couturaro, Couturaro or Joe Espada, who will have their turn. Um, but if you're going to get a veteran guy – and you're not talking to Ron Washington, which is a little bit of a of a, a different topic. 
with some of the posturing that's come out of some of that of that place at different times about diversity and, and if you're not talking around Washington, then Buck Showalter is, is a guy that deserves every opportunity to take a team that's ready to win and win. He's always kind of been in a position where he's had to build it everywhere he's gone, even in New York when he was there with the Yankees, you know, Diamondbacks expansion team, you know, Rangers were a little bit all over the place, had some roster holes, but he always had to kind of build these guys. And so, you know, certainly Baltimore's Baltimore. So now you're in a position where um, he's got to get these guys over the hump and he deserves this opportunity. I think he's the right fit. I find it interesting. Billy Epler uh, said what came across in the interview was a lot of curiosity and a lot of questions about how that group or how some of the new methods and ways of doing things could ultimately lead to better player performance and a better result on the field. It's definitely an all hands on deck operation. We look forward to lots of conversations leading up to games and conversations after games and working together or working through the baseball calendar together. And I imagine much of the same happened in Houston with Dusty Baker. So the greatest trick that the people in the analytics only world ever pulled on baseball was convincing the planet that baseball men didn't want information. I'm gonna say this to everybody that's listening, and I know that I know that you do. And if you're in all these front offices, listen. And if you're in, uh, uh, you know, working in college baseball, listen. And if you're working in high school baseball, listen. And if you're working in travel baseball, listen. And if you're working anywhere or listening or like baseball, listen. Okay. Anybody. And I do mean anybody can learn what stats and numbers or grow with it or evolve with it or understand what all these things mean. You don't have to have a PhD from MIT. You don't have to have a doctorate in applied sciences. You don't have to have an advanced mathematical, you know, uh, level seven from Brown to understand. You just don't have to do it. Okay. Maybe there's, there's disciplines of study. And if that's your discipline of study at these schools, that's fine. But I got a Fangraphs membership. We had a glossary sent to us with every club of what these stats meant. As soon as they started to evolve and how they were looking at players, and it is an evolution, whether it's up or down, it's an evolution. So they started to evolve and how they were doing it. All of us got to get there. And I remember saying, you know what? When this stuff started to kind of take place and, and take some precedence, I remember saying, you know what? Um, I'm going to get a Fangraphs membership because I'm going to need it. You know why? Because I have a brain in my head. And so I started to look at it and I started to read it and understand it. Some of, that st some, some of the numbers made sense. Some of the theories made sense. Some of them didn't. And if you've ever had a five minutes of doing this for real, right? and I mean for real, where you're really fighting for a championship, fighting for a World Series as a player, as a scout, as a front office, as an executive, if you've ever had to experience it, if you've ever stood in the box against a guy like Rob Men who I was unfortunate and fortunate enough to face at one point in my life during when the last strike around, I was in college, and they came out and faced him in an inner squad. Um, if you've ever stood in the, in the box against somebody throwing 97, 98, that can command it with a breaking ball or 93, 94, or 89, 90, that can change speeds moving around. If you've ever had to be that guy doing it, pick it up, turn it double play, execute. If you've ever had people booing you, you understand what's going to work and what doesn't. And some of this stuff is information and some of this stuff is bad information. Um, but there's no baseball man out there. And a baseball man is somebody to me just define it um, as somebody who has spent his time on the field earning his stripes in that type of education. 
Okay, now that we have the women doing it too, a lot, a lot more women are integrating into the game. So her stripes on the field, learning how to do that. If you're in that position and you've gone that way, if you're baseball oriented, to think that you can't understand numbers or don't want information is a myopic and antiquated and downright dishonest view. So the fact that, that, that Buck Showalter and the fact that uh, Dusty Baker and the fact that Joe Madden uh, are able to do these things with a level of discernment, meaning they know what to use and what not to, it's a credit to the clubs allowing them to do it and to the, to the men. So there should be zero concern up from the New York Mets, from Billy Epler, from Steve Cohen, from Sandy Alderson, to whoever is above them pulling the strings to 0. .72 ventures, doesn't matter. These people, these people that are going into position, they're going to want the information. They're just going to use it as it's applicable and let their instincts from experience guide them. This industry is the only one that I've ever seen where experience seems not to matter. Does it? I don't know what that's about. Like when I was growing up, I had this conversation today with somebody from, from a, a different club. Um, when I was growing up, my dad, I always knew he knew more than I did. My grandfather, he knew any more than I did. It, you know, they'd had more time. They'd been around through more things. I didn't always want to hear what they had to say. I didn't always want to process it, but I shut my mouth and I listened to it. We're in a position today where we're deciding not to do that. Oh, you've been, you got a couple World Series rings. Oh, you've had to fight it out. Oh, you've got nine years or you've got 14 years or you've done these different levels. We're going to go ahead and go with the kid that told us that two plus two equals nine. I don't understand what that is. Why can't you balance that out? So we painted ourselves in these corner with these two camps. And we are now now in a position where we're finally seeing some people, teams that are winning get people back in there and do that. I hope that's what they do in Houston, by the way, not just with Dusty, but beyond that, because they need to get moves that are, you know, I know they hired a new assistant GM or agreed to terms with a new assistant GM, not Liberty to go past that, but they did that, um, you know, and that's not announced yet, but we're, we're in a position where... Oh, you know, that's some news, huh? Yeah, I can't drop it yet, but I'm just telling you, they, they click is adding, James Click is adding to his front office. Um, when you do that, um, you have to find some balance. You can't just find everybody in R&D. Some, at some point, it's like driving in runs. At some point, somebody got to get a hit. At some point, when somebody's on base, you got to knock him in. But RBIs don't matter. So common sense has to take over. We're going to have to kind of get to that, and hopefully the Mets are. That's well, listen, I mean, Dusty Baker, I've been in the room. He said, you know, this, this idea of analytics, we've had them for years and years. Now, certainly – the game and, and the numbers have evolved, but he goes, we just didn't call them analytics. We've had a lot of this stuff. Tal Smith, executive of the year in 1980, he was working with advanced statistics when it comes to arbitration and, and free agency. Yes, there's been an evolution, but to think that I agree with you. I agree with you wholeheartedly. What you're saying about this, this idea that, that this stuff all of a sudden suddenly appeared like it was a mirage in the desert. It just boom came 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 to be um, it's been in the game for years they just they just put a fancy a fancy word next to it you know what changed jason i think uh, we called I'm it a... muppets didn't we call it muppets for a while called, called muppets you know you know what changed and, and and look maybe it's just the things that are going up you know because we're getting ready to get back out in the road and and impact some people and, and help some lives and we use we use data man we use it here, we want to incorporate, we use, not giving up the formula, but we use data for our role prediction and our, and our development and our planning. Um, what happened is these people 
that are from these areas got in these offices because they can't go out into the field to do this stuff. They can't, they weren't trusted to go out and evaluate players when this stuff began. They weren't trusted to go develop players when this stuff began. When this, when this new, the new wave of statistical analysis, that's what I'm going to call it. The new wave of statistical analysis, the current wave of statistical analysis. These guys had no experience. Players weren't going to take them seriously. Coaches weren't going to take them seriously. And there was no way to see if they moved. No way to see if it was going to work. So they get in these offices and they talk and they chirp and they 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 talk about people and they go ahead and they and they and they they get in these little little covens, these little covens of groups, and they want to go ahead and talk about how nobody else can understand them and oh, this guy isn't gonna go along with it, and that person isn't ah, and the organization's like, what are you talking about? So what happens is these guys who have just a different level of discernment but experience get dismissed. Every organization that's done that has lost. I'm doing a study, and I put this on Twitter a while ago about the last 20 champions and how they were built, how the drafts were built, how they were constructed, who's done that. For all the success that the Cleveland Indians have had in the last two decades in, in the drafting and developing and competing, how many titles do they have? I'll wait. When we talk about their formula like it's the Holy Grail, there's a term in the industry, pixie dust, Cleveland pixie dust. We talk about the Oakland Athletics, and David is brilliant. He really is. Billy's, Billy's built, they're brilliant guys. They haven't won. They've competed, and they've gotten in the postseason every year, which is a pretty good achievement for what they're, what they're given to work with, but they haven't won yet. Last Oakland A's World Series title was 1989. So you go back and you look at the, at, at the winners, and you go back and look at how this is done, and you can't do one without the other. And these, this, they get into this group, and they, they banish this, and I'm glad to see it coming back some people who have spent their entire lives in this game giving to it to get back into this and use the right analysis well we've we've hit the 30 minute mark i'm going to skip over the draft prospect rankings and let's go right to your yeah i'll just help you with that I'll re i read them not a fan of how those were put together a lot of raised eyebrows let's move on okay <laughs> all right so there it is on the screen jeremy it's your 2011 report on Josh Bell. I found this one very interesting because you said, and you were with the Brewers at the time, you said, I would take him at 15, would consider taking him at 15. I think a lot of people felt that way, but it was a situation with Josh Bell. It was the asking price, if I remember correctly. But you said a regular left fielder in major league role with all-star potential, physically impressive now, still hasn't fully matured into his body very athletic, but still has some awkward movements, explosive bat speed with leverage and plus strength that will produce home runs. I can go on and on and on, can use the whole field, drive the ball from both sides of the plate. Playing center field now, but will move to left field and pro ball and will be above average there. Uh, limited risk in selection, but risk is in the bat. But I think your, um, your body comp, or excuse me, your player comparison was was really good. Your physical description, do you remember who you had as a physical comp? No, nah, that's a decade ago, but I, I won't forget seeing him play. So, Mark Witten was your physical comp, similar to a young Mark Witten. But player comparison, and I think you were a little light, but, I mean, you know, maybe it's just the way the game is played today and the home run totals. Do you remember who you comped as a player comparison? No idea. Chili Davis. Interesting. Interesting. Chili was a pretty good hitter. I can tell you this. I went to see um, 
forget who play maybe in 2009. And it was, it was a guy that was in my area, my territory, and he was playing up in North Texas and they happened to be playing Josh Bell's school. And he hit like four home runs that day, two left-handed, two right-handed. And I walked out of there going, who is this guy? I remember calling Ray Montgomery, who was my, my supervisor at the time. And Ray is now the VP of player personnel with the Angels. And I call Ray and he goes, how was it? And I said, forget this guy who I saw for you. I don't know who it was. Let's talk about Josh Bell. And he went, who? And so I filled him in on what I had seen. He went, really? And I said, yeah, he's a sophomore. You know, it's going to be a minute, but dude, this is an, this is an easy one. A couple of years go by. Um, the guy whose area he was in, honestly, you know, Ray was in Arizona by then, but the guy whose area he was in had, didn't deserve to select him and just anyway. Um, but, you know, Josh, you know, we, we, take, we had two picks, 12 and 15. Um, the thing about Josh is because it was a corner guy, he had to really hit. You know, he played for the Dallas Patriots, which is a very prominent team. Uh, in North Texas, we were able to see them uh, quite a bit. He's, one of his teammates was Trevor Story, actually. So we saw those guys a lot. You know, and, and Logan Stout, those guys do a great job up there with the Patriots. They have for a long time. So we're able to see him. But, uh, yeah, Josh had to hit. And so as a high school bat, a little bit of swing and miss, our organization won a college pitching. He deserved to be in the conversation. But you had to be honest about the risk. You couldn't have uh, – take a guy at that point in the draft and went with one of your, you know, in the top 15 picks and not be, be sure he was going to hit. So, you know, we saw him a lot. It was in consideration. We ended up going with the pitching, but Josh has done, has, has done good for himself and well for himself. And um, it, he had a lot of strength, man. Whew, it was fun to watch. And obviously signability, I imagine, was also a factor at the time. Yeah, it wasn't my area. I'm not sure if, you know, what that I guy. Did, I did just see who the. Um... Yeah, it wasn't. I did my, just see who was on the report. So yeah, it wasn't wasn't my area, um, and so I didn't dig like that. I was just went to go see these guys. Um, you know, I was, I was th thankfully I will say in every place I've ever been, I've been used far without far outside of what my title was. And there's a lot of people that were invested in my development as a scout, um, as as a as a young executive, you know, future, and and it gave me a lot of opportunity to go see a lot of players. And so. You know, I mean, one year, you know, the story I went from the Dominican to Alaska, like, you know, in the summer, you know, it was just what it was. So um, those guys, the guys that I worked for were, were really, really good. And so, you know, I didn't, you know, we weren't going to take him. I kind of knew that and we were going to talk about it, but it wasn't my job to figure out signability. There was a big number there. Um, but in the draft, if you think a guy is worth it, you pay him because it's always worth more in the big leagues. If he's going to be a big league impact bat, you pay those guys. You don't worry about what the number is. So. You know, you go through it every year. We forget those type of things, and those guys show up and go, why didn't we take them, you know? And that, while we're on that topic, Jason, I know we're over our time, but once again, I was talking to somebody else today, and we're, we're on these guys that are, you know, undersized and scrappy and, 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 you know, they play well and they go prove it in college, and one or two of those guys goes out and they make the big leagues and they're a good player, and we say we got to have these guys because, man, they're good. We don't want to miss them in high school. You still need aircraft carriers. We don't want tugboats. No aircraft carriers. We don't want to talk, we don't talk about no sailboats, no, no yachts, no, we want that. We want aircraft carriers. We want to go out there and win championships. So we kind of forget. And here comes big bad Josh Bell, and he's walking out, walking off the bus, man. And he's just hitting balls to the to the different, you know, solar system. And we're like, why what? We didn't like this guy. So um, you know, look, bottom end of the day, good for him, good player, you know, good upbringing, great family. Uh, very happy for Josh. He's turned into what he has.
told you it was going to be coming out hot tonight, man. I told you. I warned you. I told you in advance it was coming out. $5 million. At the time, it was the largest signing bonus ever for a player outside the first round. Might still Pittsburgh. be. Pittsburgh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, everybody. After coming in hot, Jeremy, I need to I need to go back to work. Yeah, me too. All I can tell you is this is just I'm right. Let's go, man. Christmas is coming up. Merry Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays. So, let's go. I'm I'm I'm. It's it's flowing. It's in the bloodstream and it's coming out, man. I'm ready. I'm, I'm ready to go. All right, everybody. Uh, we're gonna play the um, the music to play us out. As always, thanks for listening to Extra Bases with Bristol and Booth, and I'll try and get my picture fixed next time. <laughs>